Hey, well, um, we, uh, on Christmas Eve, we finished our series called Christmas Wisdom. It was, uh, it was cool. We, we were looking at the Proverbs for Christmas, which was kind of fun. And then on Christmas Eve, we saw how Jesus was himself embodies or fleshes the wisdom of God. And that was really cool. Um, starting next week, we're going to be in Jeremiah, one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible, because it's so relentlessly negative. Like, yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun, guaranteed. No, it really will be. Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be looking at uh, kind of what not to do for 2019. Uh, Jeremiah is, um, he's, he's preaching to Israel at the time when Israel is uh, just completely going wayward in every possible way. And what's cool about Jeremiah is you're reading it and you're like, is this to Israel in 2,700 years ago or is this to America in 2018 or 19? Uh, so I think you're really going to, we're really going to get uh, a lot out of it. So uh, don't miss that. This week, uh, we're, you know what I mean? <laughs> It is, it is required that we talk about New Year's resolutions because it's uh, the Sunday before or on uh, New Year's. And uh, for the, well, let's just take a show of hands. Does anyone here actually do resolutions or everyone's in resignation and you just given up? Oh, that's awesome. Way to go. Uh, that's very cool. Yeah, um, there's three types of people. There's those uh, who make resolutions and try to keep them and fail. There are those who have given up all hope and so they don't bother. And then there are those whose lives are perfect and they don't need res- resolutions. So you're probably in one. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, one thing you might ask, though. So you're, a lot of us here are like, no, I'm over the re- resolution thing. You might ask this. If the Bible could, like, open up and, and, and like, be audible and talk and be like, hello, how are you? Uh, if you were to, like, ask about it, be like, Bible, do you have a resolution for me? Um, what, what might the Bible say? Well, I think you should do X. You know, I, maybe. I mean, and, and I, I think it actually does. I think there's a place um, in Scripture, well, many places, but I, I've chosen one in Scripture where um, there really is a moment where the Apostle Paul is like, he's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's, which is a, a city in the ancient world, and he's like, he's like, guys, friends, brothers and sisters, if I could have you change in any way, all of you, not just some of you, but all of you, it would be this. And so, uh, for those of us who don't have resolutions, for those who do, uh, let's take a look at what Paul uh, recommends for our New Year's resolution. This is uh, Philippians 3, 4b. Um, I've excised the first part of this verse, uh, just because it's not a complete thought pattern, but it goes like this. This is um, basically, it's based on what you have in your pew Bibles um, on page 621. I've, uh, I've made some changes. Where those changes are important, I will bring them out, mostly to make it smooth in English, but in some cases because I re- we really want to get the, the, the feel of the Greek. So uh, this is it. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh... Me, Paul, I'm more so. Guess what? I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the stock, the pedigree of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. When it comes to following the law, I'm a Pharisee. If you don't know, that means I'm like somebody who's really, 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 really good at following the law. Concerning devotion to the faith, wow, I persecuted, I harassed anyone who violated, anyone who got out of traditional Pharisaic understanding of the law. I persecuted the church. Considering righteousness, you know, being right before God, which is in the law, I'm blameless. These were my prophets, but I wrote them off as loss for Christ. What's more, I count everything a loss in comparison to the superior worth. 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and think of them as sewer filth, so that I may make good on my investment in Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I gave it up all for that. Why? So I might know him and the power of his resurrection, which we just sang about, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I will take any road to arrive at the resurrection from the dead. It's, um, it's a pretty powerful text. It's like you can, you can hear the, the, the pathos. Like this is the part, uh, we think that probably Paul didn't write his letters. He probably dictated them to somebody. This is the part where um, he was like on a thought pattern. He was like, and this, and this, and this, and this. And he got really excited. And it almost comes through. You can hear there's not a lot of like, he has these ultra long sentences and they're, they're broken up uh, just by, in, in English, by semicolons, but in Greek by nothing. He just, he's just throwing all this out there. He's really, really worked up. He's really passionate about this. So what is he talking about? Well, at the very beginning, he starts, he starts giving his uh, pedigree, right? He's telling you who he is. Um, confidence in the flesh. You might even say, instead of confidence in the flesh, you might say, uh, Confidence in who they are, who I am, what I've done, what I've accomplished. What I, this is me. I'm the best. Circumcised the eighth day. Stock of Israel. Of the tribe. What does all that mean? Do you know about uh, Jessica pointing? Do we have Jessica up there? Oh, wait, no. Oh, before that, right. The internship. Yes. Hold on a second. Um, what does it mean when Paul's like, he's jumping out. He's like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. What is he really trying to do in our terms, in 21st century terms? Well, imagine if you are going to go try to get an internship at the greatest company that ever existed, Google. There's a movie about it. It's really more like two hours of propaganda trying to convince you that Google is not an evil corporation when it most assuredly is. I don't recommend this movie. I sat through it once. I barely remember it. But here's the basic bottom line. Here's how it works. Um, these two guys are in the Midwest. They sell mattresses. And they're dead-end jobs. They're miserable. And they're like, you know what we need to do to shake things up? We need to go to the West Coast. Go out to San Francisco or wherever Google is. We need to intern at Google. And that's going to change our lives. These mattress salesmen go, they have an online interview, that they, they pass, they get in, and then their lives are changed. It's total fiction, total fantasy. Uh, there's, no, there's no story of someone who's a mattress salesman who actually gets to work for Google. It's, it's done just as a way to like, you know, make us, normal folks, feel good about the company that you know, owns all of our information and directs our lives. And it's mostly successful. A lot, a lot of people actually have a really positive view of Google. But this is fantasy. That's crazy talk. I do, however have somebody who actually did get an internship with Google last summer. It's Jessica Pointing. She not only got an interview or an internship at Google, she also got an offer from Apple, from Facebook, and Goldman Sachs. Yeah! Four interview op- or four internship opportunities. Jessica Pointing. You can't read that. Um, but I, I, I have I've taken some notes on it. How did Jessica pull this off? Well, let me tell you. She had a killer resume. It's, it's in small print up there, but I can give you some of the highlights. Uh, a lot of us went to public school for high school. I was fortunate enough to go to Catholic school, Santa Margarita, down the road. 
Um, and I thought that was a big deal. When I got to college, I found out that most of the people at my school had gone to boarding school, uh, which I had never really heard of. I thought it was like something that happened in, in Britain in like the 19th century, but it happens now. For very wealthy people, they send their children to, um, to boarding schools for $50,000 a year. And uh, they even know the names of the boarding schools, and some are better than others. Um, Jessica beats them all. See, when Jessica graduated from middle school and she was going to go to high school, she did not go to a public school. She certainly didn't go to a private school or even a boarding school. No, she went to an international school in Denmark, in Copenhagen. And the, and the reason she puts that in her resume is so as soon as you read that, it says, I went to Copenhagen for international school. I was an international baccalaureate. I'm better than you. Like, whoever you are, I am, I have a better pedigree. You think that you went to, you know, Macaulay School in Tennessee? That's not good enough. No. You went to Catholic school? No. I went to Denmark. When she's uh, doing her interview at Google, I'm sure they said something like this. They're like, so, um, you know, what are your weaknesses and uh, how have you dealt with them or tried to overcome them in your life? And this is, I'm sure, what Jessica said. She said, well, you know, when I first got the, off the plane in Denmark for high school, I thought that, you know, being fluent in Danish was going to be enough to succeed. But then I realized the culture was way more complicated than anything I could have anticipated. It doesn't matter what she says after that. She's already communicated to you, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. She didn't just go to Copenhagen and Denmark for high school, though. When she went to college, she started out at MIT, majoring in physics and computer science. The thing about MIT is, you know, she did her two years in the quantum computing lab, and that was cool. But she found out that there was a much better program at Harvard, where they not only did quantum computing, but they applied it to real-world applications, financial applications. So she... MIT's nice, but she transferred to Harvard College. She's finishing up there, and, and, she's, and, and she's hoping, hoping that you at Goldman Sachs and Google and Apple and Facebook might consider letting her help you out. That's pretty much what Paul is doing in 21st century language. Go back to the text. He, uh, he says, hey, I was circumcised, circum, uh, circumcised the eighth day according to the law. And that's the way to become like a, 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 that's how you're supposed to circumcise Jewish children. He, uh, you know, he, you're not supposed to do it on the day of. You've got to wait till the eighth day. He's like, hey, I'm, um, I'm true Jewish, true Hebrew. At the time he's writing, not very many people know their heritage anymore. But he can trace his lineage. He's, he's got, you know, like, in a racist way. He's got pure blood, sort of. He's like, I have good stock, pedigree, went to school in Denmark. When it comes to following the law, he's a Pharisee. He's, he's assiduous about making sure he does everything right, as best as he can tell. He's so devoted to the faith that wherever he sees deviation, he, he attacks, prosecutes. If Paul is anything, he's like Jessica pointing. When Jessica gets there and it's like, it's December 30th and she's thinking about New Year's resolutions, she's like, why bother? I'm awesome. <laughs> like, what, 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 am I going to be even better at like, I mean, at what? That's Paul. That's the first thing you note sheets. By all accounts, Paul did not need to make New Year's resolutions. He's better than us. And he's telling the Philippians, he's like, I'm better than you. There's nothing you could do that could make you as good as me. Then something happens. Going back to the text. 
he starts using economic language, and I've really tried to bring this out in the translation. Um, these were my prophets. He's like, all this stuff was assets that I had, right? Like I had the right lineage and the right actions and the right uh, ex- excellence and excitement and devotion. I had all that. But there came a point in my life where I wrote it all off. We have many accountants for this church. It's a very strange thing how many people here are like CPAs or like, dude, it's, it bothers me sometimes. It's like the nerd quotient's too high. We need, I don't know. I don't know what could balance out accountants, but we need more of them. Just kidding. I love you, accountants. I love you, mom. You're an accountant. Uh, accountants, what they do is they, they look at the prophets and the lost. Paul's saying, I looked at all my prophets. I wrote it all off. I got a tax break on all that because it wasn't useful. It's, it's, like, it's like it wasn't helpful um, when I wanted what was really, what really mattered were Christ. He's like, uh, I've given up everything, right? So I can, this is a, this is a very, very literal translation, make good on my investment in Christ. Usually you hear, uh, if you look at the Pew Bible, it'll say that I might um, acquire or gain Christ. Really that word, it's, it's like what, hap- what you get after you've made a great invas- investment. You've, you've poured some resources in, you've worked real hard, and something has come out, Okay? And, and, and Paul's saying, that's how my life is now. I, I put all my chips in. I went all in on Jesus. What's her name? Kylie? Kylie Basidi? Do you know this woman? Kylie Basudi. You know, no one knows her? Yeah, she was a victorious secret angel. 2009, she uh, beat out 10,000 women to become a victorious secret model. She'd been working for it for a long time. And then literally like two months after she's named and she has this big contract and all this stuff, she, she quits. Now, you, I, I, I'm not obviously not familiar with the modeling industry, but a lot of it, from what I understand, um, and, and she testifies, involves like, you know, destroying yourself. So like she would go for weeks eating only celery in order to get to the right, um, she would have these crash, she called them crash diets. All she focused on her entire life was like looking good. And, 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 and that work, that work, and it is work, almost slavery, it paid off. She got to the highest place you can get in the modeling world. Tantalizing 14-year-old boys across the nation. And then, She's sitting there and she's looking at her life. And she's like, all of this, it's garbage. One of the things that really got to her, so um, she got married just before she became, uh, got put onto the Victoria's Secret thing, and, and they were thinking about having children. And she was like, well, number one, I can't have kids because that would ruin my body. And number two, even if I had children, what if, what if they were girls? What if I had a daughter and she spent her life looking up to me as like a role model for what women should be like? I couldn't do that to her. This is hell. I hate my life. So she quits. And she, uh, in her own words, she goes from being a, uh, a, a model to a role model. She decided she wanted to be a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. She wanted to be the sort of woman that... Um, that cared for children, that uh, had a great marriage. She wanted to give up career and instead be able to contribute to the household. She, she threw it all away. She had everything we all wish we had. 
We all strive to get to the top, to have the status and the wealth, to have people look at us and think we're great. And she had it and she threw it out. The Apostle Paul is exactly the same thing. He's like, I had it all. I had the status. I had everyone looking at me. Everyone respected me. I had everything you all are interested in. And guess what? I wrote it off. I counted all as loss. I decided it was sewer filth. You'll get, uh, I think, rubbish in the few Bibles. Yes, well, uh, the word there, um, skubala, skubalon, you'll find it most of the time not in uh, the Bible or even in, um, well, really, honestly, the place that you find it most is in graffiti on walls describing what someone is doing when they are in this position. And very often in the graffiti that we've actually found and we've seen, uh, they're like defecating on somebody. And that is scubala. Here in church, we can't use the word that the Greeks would probably use to describe what that is. So instead, I've called it sewer filth. The point is not that Paul has a foul mouth. The swearing is not the same in Greek as it is in English. Greek is a little more like um, Japanese, where they don't have taboo words where we, we do in English. So it's, he's not... He's not swearing, but he is using very ribald, very earthy language because he's worked up. He's trying to convince these people who are obsessed with all of the things that make life great. Status, wealth, power, all those things. He's like, he's like, you have to understand. I looked at all of it. I had it all right in my hands and I, 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 I tooted it out. It wasn't worth my toots. Because I'd rather make good on my investment in Christ. What does this mean? It's the next thing you know. She's something made Paul realize that his breeding, his abilities, his devotion, his everything, worthless. Worthless. What was it? What, what, what happened to Paul? What did he see? What did he come into contact with that changed everything? Where suddenly all the stuff that we spend our whole lives chasing, he thinks of as a two. Let's keep reading. He gave that all up to be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is faith from God by faith. I, um, I didn't change the, the language here, but I do think that probably a better translation of this would be through uh, Christ's faithfulness. Okay? The, the, not my own righteousness, which is from the law, but the, the, the righteousness that comes through Christ's Faithfulness. That's a very literal, very uh, easy reading of that text in Greek. Um, for various reasons, translators throughout the ages have said faith in Christ. But really, I mean, the, the plain reading is the faithfulness that Christ has. Now, the, try to get into Paul's mind here, right? Like, he spends his whole life being like, look at me. I have this. I'm awesome. And, and I did this, and I'm great, and I am super passionate about the stuff that matters. I'm awesome. He spends his whole life doing that. And then at one point, he meets Jesus. Forgive me for comparing it to the moment when someone who is not from California comes to our state and for the very first time tries this. I... 
the thing about the double-double, and there's a lot, but really, it is objectively the perfect cheeseburger. I, I've heard, there are some people who say things like, oh, you got to go to Five Guys. I went to Five Guys. It's garbage. People will be like, oh, you got to spend a lot of money to get, like, you know, a, a gourmet burger. It costs $25. has Wagyu beef. I've had your Wagyu beef. It's sewer filth. <laughs> my dad, my dad, God bless him, used to say, the best cheeseburger in the world is a double Western bacon cheeseburger from Carl's Jr. I'm like, what kind of animal are you? <laughs> How dare you, sir? There's some, like, the, the thing about the double-double, there is no other burger where you're done with it, right? You're full because the caloric content is great, but you're like, I want another. It's that, it's the balance between the secret sauce, the cheese, the bread, the meat. Um, for me personally, it's the animal style and no tomatoes, so that adds pickles. Uh, but you know what, your mileage may vary. It doesn't matter. The point is, once you've tasted it, you have tasted perfection, and everything else in comparison is garbage. That's true, by the way. That's in the Bible. The Bible says, "In and out." If you think In and Out's wrong, you're you're wrong. <laughs> but no, something similar has happened in Paul's life, where Paul's like going through life, right? And he's like, he's like, "I'm great. I'm awesome. I'm great. I'm the best. I did this. I did that." And the people who are around him, right? He's looking at him and he's like, "You're just a double Western bacon cheeseburger. I'm Five Guys." And he looks at the other guys like, "You're just a Del Taco cheeseburger. That's horrible. I'm Five Guys. I'm Five Guys. Five Guys. Five Guys. Five Guys. I'm the best." And then he meets Jesus and he sees a double double for the first time, and he's like, "The East Coast doesn't know how to make a cheeseburger." Only in, um, only in California could something so perfect be created. And, and really, I, I, it's, a, it's a joke, of course, but, but in every single way, Paul's looking at life, and he's like, he's like, okay, I have this amazing pedigree, right? I'm the tribe of Benjamin. Jesus is the tribe of David. He's David's household. He's royal, okay? So in terms of pedigree, five guys good, in and out better. Uh, Paul, you know, he's so, he's so like, uh, like good at keeping the law. He like keeps every little thing. He does everything that the, the, the Torah says, and he's really, really careful, and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus is the guy who not only fulfills every single little thing, he also fulfills the spirit of the law, the one that creates community, forgives, and brings people closer to God. And he's looking at that, and he's like, that's the real thing. That's amazing. Paul, you know, great, super devoted, super passionate, goes around trying to kill Christians because they're heretics. He looks looks at Jesus, and Jesus is the one who, instead of killing heretics, dies for them. He endures torture and death that he could save the heretics, save the people who were messed up. That, that's devotion at the next level. It's the highest kind of devotion. Je- uh, Paul looks at Jesus, and for the first time in his life, he says, I'm good, you're better. And compared to you're better, I am garbage. The next thing in your note sheets. In every way, heritage, actions, devotions, Jesus did it better. And then look back at the text. Why? Why, why, why? He looks at what Jesus did and he, re- and he realizes Jesus is the one who came back from the grave, right? Jesus' righteousness was so amazing. God affirmed it and brought him back from the dead. Jesus' sacrifice was so perfect, God affirmed it and brought him back from the dead. Jesus has the power of resurrection. And Paul's like, I've been living my whole life 
this religious way, trying to be the best and act the best and have the best family and the best this. And I see this one guy and I see he's got the power of life and I want to have that too. Instead of following all these rules and have this religion that, that, that crushes me and breaks me down and puts everyone in slots, who's the best, who's better, I want to be like this guy. I want to follow this guy who, who just has the power of life in him, coursing through his veins. He has conquered death. And Paul says, so instead of having this, like, these these rigid rules and and, and do this and don't do that and be this and have this blood and that family, instead, instead he goes and he starts following Jesus because what Jesus says is Jesus says, hey, I'm not here to give you, like, these religious rules for doing whatever. Instead, what I'm going to show you how to do is how to live in a way that the resurrection of the dead courses through your veins, He trades a religion for a spirituality is one way to think about it. And and he he is very honest about it with the Philippians. He's like, look, if you think the spirituality is about feeling good and being comfortable and having a great time, I'm telling you it's not. This spirituality is about having fellowship and and you might even say union with with Jesus' sufferings. If you want to taste resurrection, you've got to taste death too. There are no resurrections without a death first. And so Paul says, I gave everything up, all the comfort, all of that, so that I could go and start living the way of the cross. Uh, I put brackets there because this is more of a gloss than a translation. Um, If you look in your pew Bibles, it'll probably say, um, if by any means to attain the resurrection from the dead... Uh, I disagree with that translation very much. You'll notice that what, G- what Paul's talking about here is he's, he's looking at like a road of life, a way of doing life, right? There was this way over here. He's got a new way. This way is going to be following Jesus' footsteps. And, so he's, and, 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 wh- and what's the point? What's the reason for that? He wants to experience the resurrection that Jesus experienced. And not just in the future. Paul, in a, in a little bit, Paul's going to explain that he's not worried about his salvation or anything like that. He knows he's saved. He knows he's going to have resurrection. But he wants to experience that power now. And so I, I've glossed it to say he's going to take any road to arrive at this place of experiencing the resurrection of the dead. And sometimes those roads are scary. The scariest road was taken by none other than Indiana Jones. You remember this? I mean, can you see that? It's the part where on Last Crusade, you know, where he's trying to save his dad. And he gets to this place and there's this big chasm. And it's like, and he's supposed to take a step of faith. Right? And there's this great moment where he's like, and it looks like he's going to just crash and burn. But then he goes down and he, and there's something there. And he's like, what? And so he runs across and he looks back and he sees that there's been this, this uh, kind of a, an illusion that there had been a bridge there the whole time. He just couldn't see it. But he had to take that first step to get there. That, that moment of um, taking that first step. This is, this, is not just, this is not how you get to heaven, okay? Getting to heaven, we talked about this before. You just believe. That's it. You just trust Jesus and that's it. Uh, he gives you life. But if you want to live the way Paul lived, right? If you want to have... If you want to make a resolution, this is what living by faith looks like. It's that stepping out and it's saying, oh my gosh, this could kill me. 
but Jesus is calling me to do it. I'm going to go for it and see what happens. And, and part of that is being extremely uncomfortable. Okay? Um, extremely uncomfortable. No one, no, one, uh, no one is living a life of faith that's cross-shaped. No one's following in Jesus' footsteps and is like, ah, oh, this is so nice. I am just loving this. That doesn't happen. I mean, there's an element of satisfaction. There's an element of joy. But it's the joy that comes from stepping out with risk, with, with discomfort, being uncomfortable, and seeing that God catches you, and seeing that he opens new things up for you. That is joy. That is satisfaction. But it's a different kind of joy, a different satisfaction than comfort that we are all pursuing because presumably that's uh, what's going to make us happy. The next thing on your note sheets. Paul trades in safe religion for discomfort zone spirituality. Discomfort zone. Get into the discomfort zone. We started with a question. Does the Bible come up with a New Year's resolution for us? Something that applies to everybody. I think it does. I think that the question that the Bible wants us to start asking is like, hey, where is your comfort zone? Where is it? And how are you going to start serving that up to Jesus? How are you going to start saying, you know what, God? I feel like I have this under control. I'm, I'm owning this, and I, I feel real good about it. I'm wondering if you have some things in store, and so I'm willing to just kind of set this up in front of you and say, God, if you want to tinker with that, and if you want to force me out and make me do something risky, something dangerous, something maybe exciting, I, I want to do it because I want to see what you have for me. That when you're young... <laughs> These, these are the kinds of things that charge young people up, right? When you're in, like, college, you're like, yeah, stick it to the man. I'm going to give up everything and go to Mexico and build a house, you know. You have no responsibilities. I mean, this is all great. It's all well and good. Yeah, live risk, be radical. But honestly, that's for people who have no responsibilities, no families, people who don't have jobs, right? What about for the rest of us? What about for real people? You see, the older you get, the more difficult it becomes to get out of the comfort zone. Because honestly, what we're spending our time doing very much all the time is we're building up comfort for ourselves, creating security. That's what being an adult is. Think about that. Like the whole point of like, you know, adulting, as the millennials say, is, is coming to a place where you control your circumstances, where you're safe, you have, you know, savings in the bank so you're not constantly on the edge, your kids are stable and they're being able to be brought up, right? This, this sort of mentality, it, isn't it kind of juvenile? Paul, remember, Paul's single. Is this only for single people? Single people are like, ah, toss it, I'm ready to rock, I can run any, any moment. Is that really what is Paul's spirituality kind of devolves to I don't think so. I think um, that Paul's asking us to be in this zone, right? Where on the one hand, we could err on the side of, well, I can't risk anything because that would be irresponsible, especially if you have a family, spouse, whatnot. I can't risk, I can't, I gotta make sure everyone's taken care of. 
And so you might say, I'm not going to give anything up to you, God, because, because I need to keep this little kingdom safe. And it would be irresponsible to do otherwise. Alternatively, there are some people who are being crushed by their responsibilities, and they're like, oh, get out of jail free card. Forget you, family. I'm going to go start a new life somewhere else because God told me to. That would be another way to err, to err. But there, it, these are not the only options. There is a place in between where you open up a small thing in your life. For some people, it's resources. For other people, it's time, relationships. Anything, uh, there's a lot of different places, but you open up some small place. And you say, I'm real comfortable right now, God, in this small thing. But I'm curious to see what you have if I were to give it up. could be anything. You might be in a place uh, right now where you're really secure in your friendships and you feel really fulfilled. Maybe um, that would be something that you could put before God and say, God, you know what? I'm not sure that, um, well, maybe there's more for me out there. Maybe there's somebody out there that I have yet to meet that you're calling me to to be close to. And maybe that's uncomfortable, but I want to put it out there. So I could wreck your family but it is going to open you up to a world you never thought might be possible. Maybe um, you're comfortable in your resources and you're like, okay, God, look, here's the deal. I, I could, it would be a little tight, but I could offer this. I'm not putting any strings on it, just whatever you want to do. Would you put something on my heart, God, to say, I want you to sacrifice this resource and see what you can do with it. I don't know how many times uh, I've met uh, missionaries who say they started out with just a little bit and pretty soon God did incredible things, changed huge lives because of that, that initial step of discomfort, saying, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try this cross-shaped spirituality and see what you do, God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one minute, or as long as we can handle it, and we're going to write down one thing that we're super comfortable with it, with it in 2019, starting on J- January 1st, we're going to open up and say, God, if you want to take this and do something with it, I want to give it to you. Now, uh, this is going to be very uncomfortable because people hate silence. Normally, I would have somebody put some music on in the background, but this time, because it's sort of the theme, we're just going to be uncomfortable. And when I completely lose it, I'll pray us out. So here's your moment. One thing, one thing that, you're li- that you've been holding on to, it's comfortable, and you want to say, God, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there, and I, and I want to see what you're willing to do with it, and I'm willing to take that step. Let's take one minute. Okay, that's all I can take. That was about 25 seconds. I don't know where you're at, but that's where I'm at. Uh, Worship team, come up. I'm going to pray us out, and uh, Happy New Year. Gracious God, um, we come before you because you are a God of grace. You've given us freely in Christ Jesus. You've given us life in him. You've demanded nothing in return. And yet, God, you've also opened up a path of discipleship, a path of spirituality that's uncomfortable. 
You've called us to it. You've promised that you'll do radical things, that you'll change the world through our little willingness to, to offer some things up to you. God, I pray that for every single person here, God, you will, through your spirit, inspire just one open-handedness, one, one place of comfort and security in our lives where we're, we can just say, God, it's yours. it's yours. Do what you want with it. I pray that in and through that, you will do radical and amazing things in this church, in our lives, in the lives of those around us, bringing people to faith, increasing discipleship, healing uh, where there's wounds, all because we're willing to take a step of faith and say, God, this year, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to give it over to you. I'm going to count it as loss that I might know Christ in his sufferings and death. We trust you, God, to raise us from that death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.